Welcome to our series of special pandemic editions of the Health Disparities Podcast from Movement is Life. This is our exploration of equity, diversity, and inclusion in healthcare. My name is Dr. Mary O'Connor, Chair of Movement is Life and Director of the Center for Musculoskeletal Care at Yale School of Medicine and Yale New Haven Health. Today, we welcome back Dr. Franklin Richardson, Senior Pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, New York, a leading church of historic significance. For many years, Dr. Richardson has integrated health education with his messages of faith, civil rights, and social justice, something that he has discussed in a prior Movement is Life podcast. In fact, our fifth podcast, which you can find on our website and link. Born and educated in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Dr. Richardson has achieved national and international prominence as a religious leader and activist. He serves with the National Action Network, the Conference of National Black Churches, and the World Council of Churches. He is also a frequent attendee and speaker at our own annual meeting, the Movement is Life Caucus. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Richardson. It's a joy to see you and to be a part of this important work that you are doing. Well, thank you, Dr. Richardson. Uh, you know, we, we love you equally as much and with great uh, admiration and affection. Um, all right, Dr. Richardson, I'm just going to uh, frame this first question with a little bit more of what I think is important background regarding you so that the people who are watching and listening to us who may not know you have a little more appreciation for who you are. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Richardson, you are a very influential leader, both regionally and nationally, and both from a political and spiritual perspective. This virus has highlighted the horrible inequities in our healthcare system. What impact has this pandemic had on the faith-based community? Well, I think, <clears throat> I think it's at the, very, at the very ground level of what uh, the faith community represents and stands for. It has shaken the foundations of, of our uh, institutions uh, in the fact that the, the norm has been changed. And so churches are having to find new space and new ways to do the things that they've become accustomed to doing. So this, uh, in the African-American community, out of which where I pastor, there is a serious... Uh, concern about the disparities, right? Mm -hmm. Health disparities are being uncovered much as they were in Katrina uh, in this month. Yes. So the churches uh, are, 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 and my ministry struggles with uh, trying to be faithful to the spirituality and the social justice implication, holding social justice and spirituality in tension with each other. And it is, it is this is, and, and, and in this moment, this pandemic, those things are high and central to what we are experiencing. So I, I believe that the church is seen as a very trusted source of information uh, for communities, mm -hmm. for all communities, but in, in particular, uh, your community. And that currently, well, before the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, church services were driven by 
primarily personal interaction, right? The right. parishioners came to the church, you had prayer meetings, you had health ministries, and now with social distancing, we know we're not having those face-to-face -face interactions. How have you maintained a sense of community given the need for social distancing at Grace Baptist? Well, fortunately, uh, the, the church building is closed, but the church is not closed. And consequently, the people are, uh, we are, uh, at Grace, for instance, we, we are not just trying to hold the church through this. We're trying to discover how the church can grow through this. So we're not just in a holding, waiting for the things to get better. We're assuming that this could last a long time. So what, how do we make, how do we reinvent the church and make the church uh, relevant for the times in which we find ourselves? You know, the Lord has called us to plant in the soil we've been given. And the soil is always not uh, uh, cultable. Sometimes the soil is, has rocks and stones in it and it's hard, but we still have the commitment to uh, blossom, to bloom where we are planted. And so right now we're planting this challenging culture and, and soil of the pandemic and the tensions of it that, that has rearranged our world and put this distancing in it. So one of the things we've done at Grace is we have seen ourselves as a virtual, uh, potentially a virtual congregation. So the substitute for the building is the relationships that we continue to perpetuate. For instance, we have some 80 some deacons at Grace Church. The whole congregation is divided into uh, what, they, what we call sheepfolds. So everybody belongs to a sheepfold. Everybody has a deacon. And so the, the deacons uh, have a responsibility, assigned them responsibility to be in touch with every member once a week so that wow. we, we, we make up for the, the building that draws us together and replace it with the personal contact. They call, they say, pastor wants to know how you're doing. Is there anything we need to do to help you? Uh, that, so that's one way we do it through, through, through content. Then the, the ministering team, they, they call. And then I'm, I'm available all the time. So when we have a death, within an hour, I'm on the phone with the family uh, who has a death. Or if there's a crisis in a family, I, I'm on the phone with them. And then there are people I call sporadically just to build this whole culture of contact. And that's working very well. Uh, it's, it's, we're being, we're sustaining. And then the second thing we've done is we are filling up the airways with, with contact opportunity. So we have virtual service on Sunday morning. Well, first of all, Sunday morning, we have what we call the pastor's moment. That's where people who want to come up to a thousand can come and just be on the screen, talk with me, pray, give a scripture, talk about just kind of fellowship at eight o'clock on Sunday morning. Then at 11 o'clock, we have worship. I, I go to the sanctuary and I preach from the sanctuary. And we uh, fortunately, by God's grace, we have seen uh, our people attracted by uh, the opportunity to be online. And we have four platforms and we are now seeing 9,000 people every Sunday morning on 9,000 viewers on Sunday morning. And some of those represent families, but uh, that's what we're seeing right now. And so we're making up for it. We have a, for instance, you'd love this. It's on YouTube, by the way, too. Uh, Monday night, we had a, a town hall meeting. Uh, we have a doctor's ministry at Grace Church. And so we had a town hall with, uh, with our doctors, where our doctors were always with us every Sunday morning. I mean, once a, once a month, we'd have a doctor's moment. So the doctor's always been educating the congregation. But now they, uh, we had an on online town hall. And I guess there are about 500 people 
who came to that town hall and they were able to ask questions. And we had about eight doctors on the panel, wonderful uh, diversity of uh, physicians, two psychiatrists, and they were able to get those answers. So powerful uh, presentation. If you, like I said, it's on YouTube, it can be visited by people, uh, gracechurchtoday.org. But it is um, those kind of things. And so we're thinking our way. We're, we, we're getting ready, we're going to launch this Sunday a children's church that is designed wow, uh, for the nice. children and the parents to participate in the worship uh, service. They're, they're, uh, we did a, a virtual choir. Uh, where the choir was coordinated and each person does their soul and then the engineer puts it together and makes a, a powerful presentation. So we're finding ways to connect, to be connected, to make, take the place of the physical connection. Uh, I'm teaching a Bible study on Wednesday, for instance, I'm doing a Bible study every Wednesday now on uh, the, the season of Pentecost. So the whole issue of the Holy Spirit so this emphasis of the Holy Spirit for these seven weeks helps people to connect uh, to, to God. So, that, so, so we're finding new and uh, what is becoming exciting uh, ways to maintain the church and to grow the church because we even have people are joining the church as a response to the worship service on Sunday morning. So it, we're, we're making our way, but like I said, we are committed to growing. It's a mindset. You can decide yes. that you use these virtual things just to hold it together, or you can use them as the pathway to a stronger and brighter future. I'm excited just listening to you. <laughs> um, I, have, I have a couple follow-up questions to some of those comments. Okay. The first is, I think our, our listeners and audience would be interested, you had 9,000 people engaged in your virtual uh, church uh, right. service, your virtual service. Yeah. What do you normally see at Great Grace Baptist on a regular, I, I, ha, I have normally see two thousand. Wow! Right, I wow. normally have in the course of the three services we have. We have seven thirty, nine thirty, eleven thirty. I normally see two thousand. And when we started this five weeks ago, uh, really intensely, we saw two thousand, three thousand. Then it went up to five thousand. Then it went to six. Then it went to seven for Palm Sunday. Easter, it was 9,000, and we thought, it would say, well, we'll go back down. But it's amazing. Last Sunday, it stayed up at 9,000. So uh, it's, a, it's a much broader impact. And we believe that there is no ceiling on that. If we do a good quality job, if we continue to market it, if we continue, there's no ceiling. It's no idea what we could really reach if we get the quality and keep the quality in the product. Um, congratulations. Amazing work. Blessed <laughs> More blessings to you and all you. involved, um, because I think that the connection that you're bringing to all these people is of uh, great comfort yes. in this time of stress. Yes. You know, people are stressed and people are anxious, sure, and they're uncertain, and they've had all these life changes, and and some people now don't have jobs, and there's a lot of economic uh -huh. insecurity in addition to this health insecurity. So it's a very stressful time. Let me add a Yes, go right ahead. We are not just committed to being a television show. We are still doing ministry, all right? So for instance, uh, one, of our one of our pastors, he's over uh, getting volunteers for testing at the Yokel Community Health Center. We feed, uh, we provide groceries for 500 families every week. Uh, I went out and I got a guy in, in Idaho 
who I knew his whole family owns the Idaho the potatoes they send to New York. So he sends us 500 bags of, of uh, five pound bags of potatoes every week. We have a, the, the, the local food pantries give us to us. We, uh, Uber uh, made a sizable uh, Uber meals contribution where we can get to seniors and so forth. So uh, it's not, and then that all, and then the members volunteered to distribute this food. It's a huge, we had a, we had a building next door that we turned into a food storage and distribution piece. So people come and, and the difference, we always, we always had 300 people, right? Or a month to feed. But the difference between the people who are coming now every week, 500, is that they are much more desperate than the people who are coming once a month. They are, they, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I did not know. We ate up everything we had last night, and I didn't know where I was going to get a meal this morning. So the, 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 the desperation level is higher with this tremendous number of unemployed people. Uh, some of them can scrounge up their rent but they can't scrounge up anything for food. So it's just, uh, so we, we, we're not just wanting to be a, a television media appearance, but we want to also uh, have a, a ministry of substance. So we still, we still speak out on social justice issues. We still engage in the community's challenges. We feed the people, we respond to people in crisis. And we have people on the staff who uh, listen to, for counseling and that kind of thing. So it's, it's an ongoing, uh, uh, my vision is not just a, a television appearance or a media appearance. Have you uh, had um, your colleagues, other pastors and religious leaders reach out to you and your team for guidance or suggestions or kind of like, if you're doing best practice, what we would call in medicine, you know, best mm -hmm. practice, mm -hmm. um, do you have others reaching out to you? Yes, we have... Uh, I talk to pastors who uh, I try to share these with. One of the challenges, uh, one of the things that's fortunate for us, we were already streaming, live streaming when we were in the regular building, regular church mode. So we had we had equipment that made it possible for us to transfer. We have, I guess we were kind of experimenting. We were kind of experimenting with the possibility. And uh, consequently, uh, we were prepared to move into this direction. So many churches have to, you have to get <clears throat> a kind of, you need a pool, an ex, a expertise pool that gives you the capacity to uh, respond. But the challenge is that uh, we were kind of prepared because we already were in the web streaming space. And it takes certain equipment and it also takes an expertise pool uh, to be able to do virtual. I mean. Actually, they can camera people. You got to have some engineering. You got to have uh, some editing capabilities, and then you have to have cameras. You have to have people who can work the cameras, and so there are some limits. But 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 more and more, the the churches that are surviving now, we will have casualties during this season. We will lose churches. Um, there's a there's an article out just recently where uh, many churches have already gone out of business. Uh, so we're going to lose churches, um, but the ones who survive are going to be taking advantage of virtual and media. I'd like to ask one more follow-up from one of your earlier comments. You had the, uh, the health ministry, you had your, your physicians, and I know you have wonderful engaged physicians at Grace Baptist. Yes. Yes. So, so as you were listening to the questions that were coming out of, from the parishioners, what, what surprised you the most 
about that whole event and the questions that they asked or the responses or I'm, I'm, I'm interested I think, in. I, I think the thing that was most impactful to me was I, I realized how diverse our medical team was. You know, we had such a, a, a spectrum. We had an immunization, top immunization uh, specialist. We had a uh, cardiologist. We had a uh, head of pediatrics at uh, Montefiore. We had um, two psychologists. We had a general practitioner. It was about eight of them. And I was impacted by the diversity and the, the depth of their understanding of the, and the compassion that they brought to want to share it with the congregation in that panel. Uh, from the standpoint of what the members uh, were asking, I guess, if you listen, you heard the hunger for information to, to, to diffuse, to, to diffuse things that were not true, to help them come to uh, how it relates to the African-American community and the African-American experience. How does, how does it impact us? Uh, and so I think that that was for me the most sharpening of both ends. So let's follow that, uh, that train of thought right now mm -hmm. because we know that access to healthcare can be a challenge for members of, of uh, less privileged communities. Yes. Those that are less affluent even if they have insurance through the Affordable Care Act, mm -hmm. don't have the same level of access to health care. Right. We've also seen safety net hospital closures, yes. both in cities and in rural America. So I'd like your thoughts on kind of the general topic of access mm -hmm. and where, how you see that has impacted your church and your parishioners and your community. I think that the uh, access question is not does not start or end just in the immediate access, but it conditions over time a community to be able to respond to great crisis, right? Yes. So the fact that we have been denied or not had access to healthcare is not just in that moment, but it creates a, a precondition that makes us vulnerable to uh, the pandemic in ways that people who have had sustained healthcare do not. Uh, so that what happens is the African-American community and the people of color and poor people uh, have not had care. So along comes the pandemic and they become so, their underlying causes are already there. They got diabetes, they got obesity, they got high blood pressure, they got uh, all kinds of things. In addition, they don't have access to medical direction. So what happens? The statistics show that 20% uh, of, of uh, cases are African-American while well, we're 12% of the population. So we, we end up having this disparity that leads to premature death or disproportionate death, uh, perpetuates further poor quality of life, uh, increases the numbers of people who get it. So it's like the Katrina uh, uh, hurricane. This Katrina pulled the cover off of the, the, the biases, health biases in America. And this pandemic is pulling the covers off of the whole global village because it's not just America. It's all over the world where people don't have access to health care. They are the disproportionate victims of, of the pandemic. And not only the health issues, but the economic issues. So people who have wealth have other places and have, have a different experience going through the pandemic than people who do not have access to wealth. 
because they are living in concentrated housing. They're living in housing uh, where six or seven people live in a one-bedroom apartment. Uh, they they live in places where they there are no supermarkets, no food. There's food deserts. They can't get access to food. Uh, they can't. So so you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a really complicated uh, challenge for us. And I've been helped, blessed by uh, the work that you all do and movement is life as we seek to unearth these disparities because um, they are they're easily hidden in our society. We know they've been hidden and, hidden, and we know some of them remain hidden, but we certainly appreciate that what this pandemic has, has shown, and I, I think that all of America is starting to understand uh, the horrible disparities that we have. Yes. I mean, one, one, I would say, good thing that has come out of this has been the attention in the media to the fact that individuals of color, particularly African-Americans, are disproportionately dying yes. from this virus. Yes, yes. And 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 that we have to make things different. I mean, if we we have to prepare in some different way for the next version of the next virus that's going to come, or this will be the same story over and over again. And that's certainly not I acceptable. A, I had a gentleman, a friend of mine, who's a white Italian fellow, said to me, uh, Reverend, uh, why? Why we didn't know about this? I said, I've been talking about it all the time, but the pandemic makes you listen. The pandemic makes you see. He, he begins to see what we've been talking about. I said, he said, why didn't we hear about this in the last administration? I said, last administration? I said, we've heard about it a, a long time, but, but people weren't listening until they see what's happening in this pandemic and they get the statistic and now they're alarmed Hopefully they'll stay alarmed and won't go back into the same place where they were. I could not agree more. Let's let's turn for a second to what you see as the most important lessons that you would want our policy leaders to learn from this pandemic. I mean, if we look at it as, okay, there's lots of things that we, we're going to be able to look back and do kind of an autopsy on the mm -hmm. pandemic and say, well, we could have done this better. We could have done that better. And we know that will always be the case, right? It's, you're never bat a thousand. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be some lessons that are more important than others for our policy leaders. What, what would you hope that they see in terms of the lessons from this pandemic? The first thing they need to do is adopt a long-range vision of a view of what is coming. This, this ought to tell us that this is coming again. And yes. it ought to tell us what kinds of adjustments could we make that would lessen the impact of its coming again? How do we change uh, the distribution? How do we have policies that change the distribution of healthcare? How do we look at some of the dynamics? Is it, is it healthy for people uh, to live in density the way we are? Is, is that is that a, something that needs to be challenged? Is, is the whole idea of New York City uh, uh, needs to be uh, reconsidered? Is it unhealthy for people to live on top of people and infrastructure is insecure? New York will never be the same. New York, uh, there are three things that, that make change New York. One is that people uh, who live there now, having gone through the pandemic, there are people, I've talked to people who are gonna leave New York because they don't wanna be in that potential again. Also. 
or corporations are finding that they don't need a building to do their business. So many of the people, my daughter, for instance, works from home on the computer and they have now capacity ways in which they can uh, examine uh, the quality of the work of people who work at home. And then the, the malls and the shopping stores, people are shopping online, the buildings, real estate is going to be uh, uh, less significant. Uh, I think that there's some ways in which the church also is going to have uh, impact of the role of buildings and brick and mortar in, in, in the society. So I think the, the policymakers have to consider that. Uh, they got to anticipate hard questions before they become uh, catastrophes. We got to get forward thinking out front. And we know certain things that happen. We know that if we had if we had put if we had put equal distribution of health care, that would have lessened the impact of this. So Governor Cuomo has stated on several occasions that the impact of disparities exposed by this pandemic must be addressed. What recommendations would you have for Governor Cuomo? Well, we got to change the priorities of uh, government. Um, uh, I think I would recommend to to the governor uh, that we uh that that we make that we change priorities that the the priority of government ought to be the health of its citizens and that's got to be at the top of the of the of the, the servant responsibility of government so we got to put health issues at the top we've got to also speak to this whole idea that we are one people one world one nation uh, this pandemic has illustrated for us in ways we could never articulate how this is one world, that the, that the, the things that we use to separate us, borders like on countries are, 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 are frauds. There, there's no, nothing separating us. There's only one world. And it also goes down granularly. It also, we are one people. We are not black. We're not white. We're human beings. This the, the cure for the disease is the same for blacks, white, red, whatever. And it's and and we are and 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 the and the, and the, and the potential to kill is present in each of us. So we 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 we've got to change our worldview. We got to stop talking in in commodities and in and in, in, in isolated glimpses and talking about walls and separation. We are we are one. This pandemic has shown us that if we if we pay attention and read it. It has shown us that we are one world. We're not Chinese. We're not. We're not Italians. We're not Americans. We are global citizens. And what affects one ultimately affects all of us. And the poverty in all over the world is our poverty. And so we've got to change. Uh, how do we? We got to identify. I think the government, uh, the governor, will have to identify what are the most pressing issues that affect the quality, long-term. Uh, quality life for for people in the in the in the in the global village, and it's not just a New York issue. It's not just a New York State issue. It's a global issue. We've got to change our view, our, how we how we look at things. Those are excellent, excellent comments, Dr. Richardson. I I uh, I hope that he listens to you because <laughs> I I hope he uh, uh, I I have pointed out because uh, it's so true, and this is just kind of a, a riff on your comment that no one is immune no. in this pandemic. Mm-mm. You know, if your level of affluence may provide you some protection, but not 
complete protection. There is no one who is not somehow exposed through some connection. We are all in this together. And if we can improve the health of our communities to decrease the risk of transmission or exposure to make them more resilient, we improve everyone's health. Everybody's risk goes down. So we so really changing our mindset to understand that we are only as strong as our weakest link, I, I, I hope, will be one of the lessons that we learn from this. I certainly, will, I certainly will be pushing for that. Absolutely. I think, I think the pandemic gives us authority. Well, let's hope so, because mm-hmm. otherwise these lives would have been lost in vain. Yes. And if we're going to honor these people who have suffered and the families who have suffered, by not just the loss of their loved ones, but the horrible experience of not being able to be with them, which to me is just unfathomable, Mm -hmm. right? Unimaginable. That's right. Um, I've shared on this podcast before, uh, last week I was operating on hip fracture patients and it was just surreal to, to go in and, and take care of these people who were so alone and so vulnerable. And they had no family with them. Yes. And, and I can call them and talk to the family on the phone and they can talk to the family, but it is not the same. Mm-hmm. And it was, I could just see their elevated uh, levels of stress and anxiety all the way around. And I was just like, this is just terrible. This is just fundamentally terrible. We are meant as humans to be with each other, yes. to yeah. be connected to each other. Yes. And when we're isolated, we don't do well. That's right. That's right. We don't. That's, that's exactly right. So um, I want to thank you for the generosity of your time. And in closing, ask you what messages you would like to share with our audience that perhaps we haven't covered or that you would like to put a greater emphasis on. Well, I think that the issue of solving how we view uh, ourselves begins with us individually. Each of us has got to go individually and shoot down the frauds in our own thinking. All of us have, have, have fraud ideas about who we are and who other people are. And the, the, way, the road to us fixing it is not a the declaration by governments but it is a recommitment by us individually in the one-to-one relationships that we have on a day-to-day basis to see people differently, to take this pandemic as an opportunity for us to see each other through a different lens that we didn't see each other before. And then to know that all of us have the potential to be um, good, all of us have the potential to be helpful to each other, that we are brothers and sisters in the global village. And we've got to, we begin that with ourselves. I've got to make that clear. It's not a government decision because if we get it straight with ourselves, we'll change policy. We'll hold the government accountable for their actions. But each of us in these discussions, in our reflections have got to say, where am I? Do I have fraud uh, boundaries? Do I have boundaries that are not real, not existent? That I that 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 I conscribe to, that I function around. Do I have, do I have do I have uh, discriminations? Do I have uh, uh, racist values that keep me 
from seeing another as a full human being. And it makes me happy or makes me, it, uh, it makes me tolerant of inequities, tolerance of health bias. Is, that, is it in me? Do, is, am, I, if I'm, am I driven to change myself because I see that that attitude, that way is a flawed and will, will lead to um, further destruction and, and will contribute to us not being prepared for the next pandemic or for the consequences of climate change unless we as individuals begin to evaluate our own values and our own false barriers. So Dr. Richardson, I'm gonna be a little selfish now as we close <laughs> and I'm gonna ask you to give a blessing to all listening to this podcast or viewing it because I think we can never have enough blessings and I would be honored if you would mm -hmm. provide honest. that for me and our audience. Yes. Gracious God, we invite you to help us to see ourselves as we are and to see ourselves as we can become. We seek your guidance through this very difficult season. We are anxious, we are fearful, we are uncertain, but help us to garner faith enough to face the uncertainty of these days with a renewed confidence in your capacity to deliver us to fulfill our best selves and actualize our potential as human beings. We pray, gracious God, that you would tear down the barriers that separate us from each other and give us in this hour fresh unity and renewed faith that we can go forward better than we went into this crisis. May we emerge better, stronger, and deeper into our relationship with each other and with you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Dr. Richardson, thank you so much. Thank God's you. blessing to you and yours. Thank you. And same to you, Mary. God bless you and keep doing what you're doing. Your, your work is very vital. Thank you. God bless you. That wraps it up for this um, session of our Movement is Life Health Disparities podcast. And thank you for joining us. Be well, be safe. <laughs>